uh, but thank you guys for being here, honestly. I want to challenge you guys, uh, everyone here, honestly, to come to church consistently. That sounds really, really simple, but honestly, it is a challenge sometimes. But, uh, but uh, especially come with a little bit of prayer in the morning. That will make a big difference. Come consistently and pray before you come. It makes a huge difference because when you've prayed beforehand, made just a little bit of communication with God, I really believe that by the time you get here, it's like, it's like revving the engine beforehand, getting warmed up. And honestly, you can come to church with an expectation. Honestly, if you come to church and say, man, Sunday, I'm awake, I might as well go. Honestly, sometimes you won't get much out of it. Because you don't come expected. You don't come with, uh, you know, with the understanding that you're going to be coming into God's presence. And sometimes it'll catch you off guard and you'll miss what God really has for you. When we come into church, honestly, we're not just fulfilling something um, that we're expected to do. We're coming into God's presence. We come as a group of believers to celebrate together, to, to hear the, God's word, and to, and to be able to worship God with music. And it's a time we can really get intimate with God and learn from Him and walk out of your change with a new direction, with a new mindset, and be renewed. And so honestly, come into church expecting uh, when you come into service, and come consistently. Let me go ahead and pray as I go ahead and enter into the Word. Father, thank you so much that, God, you have something for us today. I pray for everyone here that they would expect something from what I am about to say, not because I am wise and not because I am eloquent, God, but because you are going to speak into hearts today. That, God, as people come in here, I pray they would be able to lay their baggage at the floor, at, the, at your feet, God, and be able to hear your voice right now. And that everything I say would be led by your Holy Spirit. They would not hear my voice. They would hear yours. And that we would all walk out of here different and changed, more intimate with you, more empowered, more challenged, and got on a new path toward a greater intimacy with you and a greater life of joy and fulfillment. So thank you for everyone that's here today. It's not by accident. And I thank you that uh, you brought this group of people here for a purpose uh, that is unto eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm excited because I do have something from God. And so if you will expect to receive from God, you will. And I, I know with full confidence that today people are going to be set free from, from lies in the ending. People are going to be set free from the chains of, of, uh, of, of culture. And, and, and so I'm just excited. So, um, so bear with me. Part of it is, is super excitement. Part of it is that I drank some coffee and now I have to go pee. And it's the potty dance that my daughter does. So I want to talk to you today about that. I want to talk to you today about culture. As you walked in here today, you probably thought before you, got, before you came in, you thought, okay, I'm going to church, and so I've got to you know, be in church mode, and I've got to wear something the right thing, and you know, what should I expect? And you know, it's urban church. It's probably a little bit more casual, and we're a beach community. So what does that mean? What should I wear? And we think of all these things, and we, you know, we put on the right makeup or the right perfume, and you know, don't want to dress too you know, immodestly. And, and we think of all the right things, and as we come in and you know, we shake people's hands, we want to say all the right things. Because when we come into church, we expect there to be a certain culture. We expect there to be certain things that are normal and appropriate and, and things that are okay and not okay. And so it's, it's all about how we're raised and what church we come from before. And, and there's all these little tiny things in the culture of the church that kind of dictate how we think we should act or what we should wear. And we don't even notice it. We don't think about it. We just get dressed and we eat whatever we eat for breakfast and and we come to church, and we do what you're supposed to do in church. And if you feel comfortable, sometimes you raise your hands, and I'm not that comfortable, so I'll do this. And, you know, what, what are people going to think about me if I raise my hands too high? And, and we think of all these little things, and it's so subconscious because culture is ingrained in us. That's what culture is. And church culture, let's be honest, if you've been in church, I, I wasn't raised in church, so coming into it from the outside, 
I was like, these people are just weird. When I came into church and I saw people like raising their hands and sizing, the church I started out at, man, people brought tambourines and flags and all sorts of weird stuff. I mean, I don't know about you, to me that was funky, right? I mean, that wasn't like the concerts I've been to, that wasn't like the Catholic church I visited, and that was different. That was weird. And so uh, depending on what church you've been to, this one might be a weird church for you. Let's be honest, like church is just weird. Christians are weird. Have, visit this site sometime. I just found it the other day on, on Twitter. One of my friends tweeted it. Yes, occasionally I tweet, okay? But uh, it's stuffchristianslike.net. Hysterical. If you've ever been in like contemporary American church, you'll find the site hilarious. They've, I mean, stuff like deep V-neck shirts and, and side hugs and the metrosexual worship leader. You know, it's all sorts of funny stuff that's just popular in, in the contemporary American church. And you may not find all that here in, in the urban church, but honestly, it's just hilarious. And, uh, and it's really true. A lot of Christians have this culture, this is appropriate, this is okay. And oh my gosh, if you actually hug someone full on, it's like, you're a sinner. Culture is the set of shared attitudes, values, goals, and practices that characterizes an institution like church, an organization, or a group. There are cultures in different countries, different cities, even different neighborhoods. If you go into Hillcrest versus Ocean Beach or downtown, totally different little subcultures within San Diego. And even people that have come from New York, they can, I mean, I heard one guy is like, I can't stand San Diego. Man, it's just so laid back, and man, places close at 2 a.m.? That's ridiculous. Man, I'm out partying all night. I'm like, I'm in bed at 10 o'clock. <laughs> so well, there's different cultures in different places, but cultures are the set of norms, and the set of, the set of what's right and wrong, and the way we do things. It's why we drive on the right side of the road. It's why we greet each other with a, with a pound or a, or, a, or a handshake as opposed to a bow, it's why dudes don't hold hands in the streets here, but they do in other countries, just as a sign of friendship. It's different cultures in different places, and, and they're normal things to do and behave, and why we drive on the right side of the road, why we eat with forks, and, and why we, you know, chew with our mouth closed, and other places they chew with their mouth open. And it just, it, it all depends on where you are, and what's normal. I don't know if anyone's done any kind of world traveling, but it will open up your eyes to how in the box we can be in our church in our city, in our country, and what's right and wrong. The American way isn't always the best way. The way that we do church is not always the best way. But that's what culture is. Especially in American culture, I will never be the guy that just bashes the U.S. I love this country. I really do. Man, when I look at what goes on outside the country, I thank God that I can come into church. And sure, maybe sometimes people make fun of me for being Christian. But honestly, we don't suffer persecution here. We've got it good in the U.S. We really do. We are the wealthiest country in the world or, or up there for sure. I mean, we've got it good. So I'm not going to bash this country, but if you really look at our culture, the things we set in place is what's normal and what's okay and how to do things, is it always the best way? Let's think about that for a second. If you adhere to the culture and do what everyone says is okay, the majority of Americans... You are normal if you live by the cultural standards. So what does that look like? Normal is sex around 17. Normal is if you have a credit card, your average balance is around $15,000. 
normal means that there's a approximately a 50-50 divorce rate. So if you get married, eh, 50-50. Unless it's your second marriage, then it's 67% chance divorce. And if it's your third, it's 74 chance divorce. And it's in part because 75% of Americans say that they would have an affair if they didn't think they'd get caught. It's part of the reason. And three out of four men think that within marriage, uh, pornography's fine. It's not, it's not big of a deal. It's not really cheating. 75% of men think that. The majority of Americans will flirt with coworkers. The majority of Americans will, will have internet relationships and do online chat rooms and weird things. <laughs> I don't understand. The normal American spends 110% of their income every year. More and more debt every year. You ask any average American, how are you? If they, give you the, if they don't give you the generic, good, how are you? It'll be tired, busy. It's the average answer, right? It's what you expect to hear. Good, you? Tired, busy. Because we are overstressed, overworked. Our, our schedules are overloaded. It's the average American way. If you're normal, there's a 30% obesity rate. Eight out of ten Americans are overweight. And the number one prescription in America, right above high blood pressure medication for all the obesity and all the stress, is antidepressants. And the number one market for antidepressants, up and coming, kindergartners. We medicate our kids with the happy pill. I read an article about a woman who said that she was a little bit stressed because I don't think my husband's you know, budgeting the finances correctly, and I think, you know, we're getting in a little bit of trouble, and I'm just really, I'm anxious about it. The doctor prescribes her the happy pill. Don't worry about it. You're just stressed. Here, take some of these. And so while she was medicated and happy, her husband drove the family into financial ruin because we medicate our issues. We're depressed, and we're, we're anxious, and we're worried. We're stressed financially, and we our morals and ethics are questionable. So when we look at our culture, I love America, but we're not doing everything right. And when you live in the culture, we don't even realize it. The set of norms and beliefs, our culture will tell us how to raise our kids, and should we, you know, spank our kids or not? And, you know, that'll teach them violence. And, you know, how do we, you know, now that I'm graduated from college and I have all this debt, what do I do? And you have to get the right job, and my parents say I should do this, and maybe that's what I should do, and Man, I'm how old now? And I, gosh, I better get a house. And, you know, so I better take on a little bit more debt because that's what's expected. I have to have a house. I'm, you know, 28 years old. And all the norms are there that we have to live by, right? Oh, my gosh, all my friends, they tell these jokes. And, man, everyone else laughs. And (laughs) I will too then. (laughs) Because it's expected. It's the cultural norm. Culture will lay out for us a pathway that will determine how we raise our kids, how we spend our money. Everything you do is determined for you if you follow the pathway of culture. But I don't know if any of you guys have noticed, I've only been around for 28 years. Not that long. I know, it's getting older. I'm feeling it. Back hurts every now and then. But 28 years is not that long. But even in 28 years, how many of you noticed some changes in culture? Anyone? Yeah? A few things, probably. 
If you talk to your parents, look at some old TV shows. Man, back in the day, you couldn't even show a man and woman sleeping in the same bed together. If you look at old movies, if they ever show the man and woman, they had like, you know, pajamas up to here all the way down, and they had twin beds right in the bedroom. Who, did anyone really do that? No, but on TV, that was inappropriate to show on TV. Now you turn on the TV, first thing you see is a Victoria's Secret ad, and oh my God, I mean, it's completely different. Our culture is changing. If you look at the, the history of what people thought about race, about alcohol, used to be illegal. Now we're looking at marijuana possibly legalized. Uh, gay marriage is changing, our perspectives on that. Things change over time. So as we continue to just live by what culture says to do and we, we go to the school and we get this job and we laugh at the right jokes and we please the right people and we, we do what the boss says because that's where our promotion comes from. We do all the right things by culture. But if culture's changing, do morals change? When, when marijuana becomes legal, is that now moral? When, when the, the family structure changes from husband, wife, two kids, and dog, and a picket fence. So now, that's rare. Now we see blended families and, 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 and mixed marriages. And it, What's right and wrong? I, I saw a, a, a commercial or, a, or an ad for Modern Family, and just the ad alone, I was like, that doesn't look like the family I want to be. Our, our culture changes. But unfortunately, culture is what's supposed to tell us our morals and our values and our, our, our right way of living. Isn't, isn't that where it comes from? Or is there a different culture? Is there a different culture that we can live by? I believe there is. Culture changes over time. It provides no firm foundation for morals and ethics and the way of really living life. In the future, are we going to have empathy for child molesters because pedophilia will, will then be called a genetic disease, and, and man, he doesn't really have a choice, and, and so, you know, we can empathize. With or, you know, will, will prostitution be legal because, oh, well, the government can, you know, can monitor it, and, and, you know, it doesn't really hurt anyone, and that's their right to do that. Well, does that make it moral then? Culture's going to be changing. I want to tell you about this very interesting study I read about. There was a group, uh, scientists, they studied a group of chimpanzees in, in a room, and uh, in the middle of the room, there was this pole that went, uh, went way high up. And at the top of the pole, there was, uh, there, was, there was something on top. What was on top? Very unoriginal. Someone else, please. Grilled cheese. I love it. Grilled cheese. There's a grilled cheese on top. There's a grilled cheese on top. So in the middle of this pole, there's this grilled cheese. And of course, the chimpanzee's thinking, man, that looks good. Let's go get it. So the monkey starts trying to climb to the top. And as soon as the chimpanzee would try to climb to the top to get the grilled cheese, the scientists would start hosing the rest of the monkeys on the bottom, all the chimpanzees. And, ah, oh my gosh, and uh, I'm having a good hair day. And so after doing this a couple times, another chimpanzee would like, I'm going to go get the, get the sandwich on top, get the grilled cheese. And they would all get hosed again. And after like two or three times, the chimpanzees all got together, and in their little monkey language, I think it's when someone climbs the pole. They figured it out. And so all of a sudden, someone would go climb the pole. Like, no! Get down! I'm having a good hair day. Don't climb the pole. And so very quickly, everyone in the, in the room learned, okay, let's all agree. Let's not climb the pole. It's not good. The, the grilled cheese is not worth it. 
But then what they started doing is they would take out one of the chimpanzees and they'd put in the new guy. Well, the new guy says, wow, there's a grilled cheese up. You guys didn't see that? <laughs> it's just so dumb. And you start climbing. And everyone would say, no, get down. Don't climb the pole. In the old monkey language, he's like, what's wrong with you people? There's a grilled cheese up there. Okay, 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 I won't climb the pole. And so the new guy learned, don't climb the pole. And one by one, they start taking out more of the chimpanzees. And they start replacing it with new people. And all the new chimpanzees would very quickly learn, okay, we don't climb the pole. Leave me alone. Get off me. I won't climb the pole. And all of a sudden, they've taken out every chimpanzee, one at a time, slowly, and they replace it with new people. All of a sudden, there's a new generation of chimpanzees. None of them had ever been sprayed before, but every one of them had learned, we just don't climb the pole. That's what they told me to do, and I, we don't climb the pole here. That's not what we do, not in this culture. I mean, they're chimpanzees, so I guess they couldn't have the conversation of, hey, why don't we climb the pole? There's a grilled cheese up there, and it looks darn good. They didn't have that conversation, but they all knew we don't climb the pole. What does our culture say? Get down! You can't, you can't, you can't wait for marriage to have sex? You can't do that, that's weird. People try to pull Pastor Ben down. You can't do a church in downtown urban setting? You can't do that. It doesn't work. What, what, what are you trying to say? You, can't, you have to laugh at the dirty jokes. Everyone does it. You're weird if you have standards like that. I had a man tell me that, that uh, you know, oh, you've been married for only three years now? Oh, so you probably haven't even cheated on your wife yet, have you? No, I haven't, and I'm not going to. Yeah, you will. Everyone does. No, I won't. And I start getting mad at this dude who just met me, and all of a sudden he's judging what I'm going to do because he had determined in his own mind that's just how men are. That's the culture. So that's just what we have to live with. Get used to it. What decision will you make? What culture are you going to follow? When we start questioning the norms, why can't we climb the pole? Why can't I pursue my dreams? Why can't I live a pure life? Am I really bound to what we see in the normal world? that I can't have a happy marriage, that I've got to dread when my daughter becomes a teenager? No, not me. I'm going to live by a different standard. You know what keeps people living in the norm? If you live by the culture, you, you're a normal person. What keeps people there? It's fear. Fear keeps us in the norm, keeps us living by cultural standards, what we wear, how we act, what we do, what's acceptable, what's not. Because think about what happens when you break the norm. What, what happens when you become abnormal? You might get ridiculed. You're going to get judged. What if I don't have any friends? People are going to make fun of me. What if I go to work and, man, I don't impress the boss? What if my coworkers don't like me? We fear man. The fear of man, the Bible speaks about this. Proverbs 29, 25 says, the fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. John 12, 42 says that when Jesus lived, the rulers, some of the rulers and teachers, really believed in Jesus, believed in his teaching. But it says that they were afraid to confess their faith in Jesus because they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. They would rather impress the Pharisees and move up the political ladder and, and be approved by men than be approved by God himself. 
Psalm 34 and 9 says, those who fear God lack nothing. And if you have your Bibles with you today, some of you have it on paper, I prefer digital. Turn to 1 Samuel 15. 1 Samuel 15, verse 1. It's right before 2 Samuel. 1 Samuel 15, verse 1. When you're there, say, I'm there. Come on, I like it. All right, I'm going to start reading here as you flip pages. 1 Samuel 15, verse 1. Samuel, who was a prophet, said to Saul, I'm the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel, my people, when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go attack the Amalekites and totally destroy everything that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men, women, children, infants, cattle, sheep, camels, donkeys. Wipe them out, God said. So Saul summoned the men and mustered them at Telaim, 200,000 foot soldiers, 10,000 men from Judah. Saul went to the city of Amalek and set an ambush in the ravine. Then he said to the Kenites, Go away, leave the Amalekites so I don't destroy you along with them, for you showed kindness to all the Israelites when they came up from Egypt. So the Kenites moved away from the Amalekites. Then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur, Uh, to the east of Egypt. He took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive, and all his people he totally destroyed with a sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and the lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything else that was despised and weak they did destroy. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel, the prophet. I am grieved that I have made Saul king because he's turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was troubled, and he cried out to the Lord all night. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul. But he was told, Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone down to Gilgal. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears and this lowing of cattle that I hear? Well, Saul answered, Well, the soldiers, the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but we destroyed the rest. Stop, Samuel said to Saul, pretty much telling him, Shut up. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied. Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. And he sent you on a mission saying, go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Make war on them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But he says, but I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. The soldiers took the sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best, of what was devoted, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. But Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices 
as much as obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. Rebellion is like the sin of divination. Arrogance, like evil of idolatry. Having an idol. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. And right here it is. I was afraid of the people, and so I gave in to them. The people wanted all the good stuff. King, why would we destroy all the good stuff, man? Look at these cattle. I mean, we'll destroy the people, that's fine. But look at the cattle and the, and the gold and the plunder. I mean, why? Why should we get rid of all of it? And Saul says, well, okay, I guess it's not that big of a deal. We did most of what God said. We did most of what God said, but I, I guess that's okay. And, and he lets it slide because he doesn't want to offend the people. Maybe it's his, his, his generals and his military. Maybe it's, maybe it's the politicians. I don't know who you're trying to impress. Maybe it's your boss that you're trying to impress or your parents that you're trying to please. So we do most of what God says. But we'll compromise because of fear of man. We'll compromise because we've got that boyfriend and, you know, I don't want to disappoint him. He, he really wants to go a little bit further physically and, you know, but if I say no and then he might leave me. Well, my coworkers, man, they, they, really, they really are cool people, you know, and I want to, I want to make sure they like me so I'll, I'll go to the bar with them and I'll, you know, I'll just, I, I won't do anything. I'll just, you know, kind of have a drink and I'll laugh at the jokes. And, you know, yeah, I guess pornography isn't that bad. I'm not really hurting anyone, right? I mean, it's just me and the computer. Won't really hurt, will it? Or you know what? My boss isn't around, and you know, my, my buddies are joking about the boss and making fun of him, and I'm sure I can do the same thing. It's not a big deal. He'll never know. Not really hurting anyone. And we compromise because we're afraid of man. We'll do it the other way, too. We'll put on a face for our pastor, right? And we'll try to act like we got it all together because we don't want to disappoint someone instead of just being real. It's fear of man. We're afraid of disappointing people. We're afraid of rejection. We're afraid of being alone. But if God be for me, who be against me? If I'm pleasing God, the whole world can turn their back. Because what does it gain me if I gain the whole world but lose my soul? I can move up the ranks at work. I can have all the friends in the world and my Facebook will get huge. And everyone will like me. But if I don't have intimacy with God, you are dead. You are dead inside. Some of you in this room are walking dead. Because you don't have intimacy with God because you're living what culture says you should do. And it'll never be fulfilling. And you'll never have joy. You'll never have an adventure of really obeying God. It is our job to be faithful and abnormal in this culture. We've got a different standard. We've got a different, we've got a different mindset when you become a Christian. Other than fear of man, beyond that, like I said, it's fear of failure. We're afraid to fail. I know for myself, I look at, I look at uh, you know, I'm, I'm afraid to, uh, my boss to come into the store because, oh, what if she sees this and that, and man, she's going to get mad at me, and I'm going to get chewed out, and, and all of a sudden, we're not looking to succeed, we're looking to fail. We're not even looking at, at success as an option. And we get afraid to fail in this world, and man, I'm not even going to try to be pure, because, 
you know, what if I don't, what if I, what if I fail at it? So maybe God didn't really mean like, like, like pure, maybe he just meant, you know, like pretty pure. So we don't even try to succeed. Because what if we fail? I could get up on stage here and I could wonder the whole time, man, I'm in for all these people and I'm trying to tell jokes and what if they don't laugh at me? What if I get up here and I, I say a curse word? Oh, I've done that, dang it. Um, man, it's going to happen. Guess what? You're already a failure. Brandon, that's rude. You're a failure. The Bible says that none of us can live up to, oh, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. I'm already a failure. I've screwed up enough in my life already. I know that. If you don't know that yet, I'm going to break the news to you. You're a failure. We've all sh- fallen short. We're not meant to be perfect. Failure is not tied to your identity. Just because you have failed doesn't mean that you're identified as a failed person. It's not in your identity. We're not going to try to put on the facade of success and say that I've got together and I'm, I'm not a failure and I've, I'm good, I'm a holy, I'm a Christian and I'm a, a good employee and I'm, I've got together. Let's just come to grips with it. You're a failure. But there's good news. If you are a failure, if you'll admit to it, you're in very good company. Dismissed from drama school with a note that read, wasting her time, she's too shy to put her best foot forward. Turned down by the Decca recording company who said, we don't like their sound and guitar music is on the way out. A failed soldier, farmer, and real estate agent. At 38 years old, he went to work for his father as a handyman. Cut from the high school basketball team, he went home, locked himself in his room, and cried. A teacher told him he was too stupid to learn anything, and he should go into a field where he might succeed by virtue of his pleasant personality. Fired from a newspaper because he lacked imagination and had no original ideas. His fiance died, he failed in business twice, he had a nervous breakdown, and he was defeated in eight elections. If you've never failed, you've never lived. Man, I could watch that every day. I would love to be counted among the failures in that video. I will admit that I am a failure if it will allow me to rely on God's strength. The Apostle Paul said the exact same thing. He said that I will only boast in my weaknesses because God told him in a different book, and he tells us, God said that in, my, in your weakness, my strength is made perfect. If we will stop relying on the facade of success and trying to act like we have it all together, all of a sudden, grace comes into our lives. If we will admit, God, I am messed up. I cannot live the life you want me to live. I'm living by what the culture says is correct. And if you want to climb the pole, if you want to go counterculture, you cannot do it on your own strength. You've got to admit that you are a failure and that only God's strength can get you to walk counterculture and start doing things a different way. I know from my life, I, I, once I became a Christian, I was almost immediately in leadership and in churches and led ministries. And, and all of a sudden you find yourself, if, when you're in that place, feeling like you have to continue to be strong. And if you ever failed, well, 
let's just not let anyone know and I can deal with it and I'm strong enough. And we put on this facade of success in the church. We do the same thing in business and we, oh, well, it was so-and-so. They didn't have the report ready in time, but I'll make sure and get it fixed. And we put on a facade of success in the workplace, in the business world. We blame our spouses. We blame our coworkers. We, we act like we have it all together. There was a time recently where I felt like my relationship with God was very mediocre for a season. And there got to a point where I was like, I cannot get out of this rut. And I really felt like God said, if you don't get out of the rut, I'm going to break you out. And it happened. It happens where that mediocre relationship with God, when I, it just felt like it was internal, but I'm still not really sinning. It's just kind of, eh. All of a sudden, the mediocrity in my heart spilled out into my actions. And sin came out. And it got to the point where I couldn't hide it. I had to. I was forced to confess to my wife. I was forced to confess to my pastor. Talk about humiliating. Talk about humbling. I'm a leader. I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. But I messed up. But I'll tell you what, after that, my walk with God all of a sudden changed. After that, there was new strength. There was a season of humility and brokenness, and God used it to restore and set me on a new fire and a new passion for God. It was the same thing when I got saved. God, I can't live the way you want me to live. I can't do it. This was back in high school. I said, I can't do it. I know what you want. I know what the standard is. On the Bible, not my phone. I know what the standard is. I know how high you set the bar. I know I've never compromised the standard. Many of us do. I knew what the standard was. I'm like, yeah, I know what it is. I can't do it, though. But I said, God, if you want me, though, take me. If you love me that much that you want me, fine. Take my life. But it's gonna, I'm, I'm not going to do well. But the minute I said, God, take it, there was new strength, and my life was radically changed. All of a sudden, the things that I thought I could never overcome, the lust for women, the, the social popularity, all of a sudden, it got easier. I, I all of a sudden had strength to give up swearing, and all of a sudden, I had control over my body to not check out women in the wrong way. And to, I had control over my thoughts. Some of us men, I don't think we realize we have control. I don't know if a lot of us realize that. You can set the bar high because God gives you strength to live that way. Now listen, you're not going to be perfect. You will fail. We're human. But that's why God gives us grace. Don't let culture lower the standards. When culture, again, tries to tear you down, say, you can't wait till marriage have sex, it just doesn't work. Maybe that's where you're from. I'm from a different culture. It's not the culture. I live here, sure. It's not my culture, though. Sure, I'll drive on the right side of the road. I'll use a fork, that's fine. But ultimately, this is not my culture. You know, Joe and uh, Camilo, they're from Colombia. And when they, <laughs> when they, when sometimes there's certain things in our culture they don't understand. And they easily can blame it on their, oh, I'm not from here. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Even Ben, Pastor Ben, he tries to use the same excuse. He was born in Holland, but pretty much raised here. Oh, I'm not from here. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> Same thing with us. 
Brandon, why didn't you laugh at that joke? That was a really funny joke. Sorry, not from here. It's not my culture. I don't get it. It's not really funny. Really. I had this, this dude at work tell me this horrible joke about taking advantage of women or something just awful. I just gave him a look like, that was really crude. And he's like, oh. In his culture, his friends, that was acceptable. Not in mine. And I don't want to judge him. I want him to know I love him, but I'm not going to accept that culture in my life. Where do we draw the boundaries? I'm not afraid to offend him. I'm not afraid. So what if he doesn't like me? In this case, I'm his boss. He has to. But we can't be afraid to offend people. We can't be afraid. Jesus was not afraid to offend. Jesus offended so many people. Jesus was a failure. If you look at his life, he started off as a, as a, as a poor man born in a manger. He grew a ministry, numerous to hundreds of people following him passionately. And then in one, in one sermon to the people, he said, I, you're going to have to drink my blood and eat my flesh. And people are like, whoa, gone a little too far. And he started wandering off. And all of a sudden, his ministry went from hundreds back down to 12. And he turns to his 12 and says, you guys going to leave me too? He could have he cried out to the rest of the, the people, no, 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 what I meant was, and watered it down. He could have. But he wasn't looking to please people. He was looking to tell the truth. He was looking to say what his father told him to say. He wasn't afraid to dwindle his ministry. He wasn't afraid to, to offend people. He broke cultural norms all the time, touched the lepers and laid hands on them. He spoke to the Samaritan woman who no one would talk to. Not even the Samaritans would talk to her. She's out at the well by herself all alone because she was rejecting her own culture. The Israelites definitely wouldn't talk to the Samaritan people and definitely a Samaritan woman. He reached out and touched her and talked to her. He healed on the Sabbath. Could have been stoned and killed for it. He broke cultural norms all the time because God told him to do something. God told him to say something. He didn't care what the culture said. He didn't care what tradition was. He didn't care what my parents told me I should do. He didn't care what the people around him said was right or wrong. He said, no, 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 let the kids come. I don't care if I'm a rabbi. This is what the, the kingdom of God is all about. He broke cultural norms. He failed. His ministry flopped. He was, he was executed on a cross. What teacher, what, what, what rabbi, what leader gets executed? Yeah, I follow the guy that, oh, you didn't see him on TV? He got fried in, a, in a, an electric chair? Yeah, I followed that guy. Oh, by the way, he rose from the grave. And now he still lives. They didn't know that then. When he died on the cross, he looked like an utter failure. Even his own disciples were scattered and scared. He wasn't afraid to offend people. He wasn't afraid to, to break cultural norms. That's the kind of failure that I want to follow. That's how abnormal I want to be. I'm not going to live by the cultural standards set before me. I'm not going to lower the bar so that I can kind of fit in or that I can justify my impurity and look at porn because it's not really hurting anyone. I'm going to live a holy life. I'm going to give of myself. I'm going to give my money. Whoa, you, you, you tithe how much? Not that much when you look at the rest of church, the rest of what the Bible says we should give of ourselves. 
the rest of the world, you give how much of your income? That's, that's after taxes, right? No. 10% is all God asked for. Most Christians don't do it, though. Christians lower the standards. Don't live by church, religion, tradition, and culture. Live by the standards God sets. Now, I believe that this church is a Bible-believing church, and I believe that we have a good standard here. But this church isn't perfect. And if you grow on looking for a perfect church, you're going to mess it up as soon as you get there. It's true. So when will we embrace our failure, embrace our imperfections, know that we can rely on God's strength, and stop fearing men, and stop fearing failure, and fear God? When we fear God, we're not looking to impress people. We're looking to impress God. We're not afraid to fail because we know that his perception of failure is different than ours. We're not called to be successful. We're called to be faithful. His perception is different than ours. Success to him is, is living intimately with him, having the virtues of the Holy Spirit in our lives. His success is different than ours. We can flop on our faces and fail, and maybe that's just God telling us that we're not cut out for that. Maybe that's God telling us that we're meant to go a different route. That's okay. Embrace failure. Learn from it. You are not a failure. You are a child of God. And if you have not been living by that standard, you have the opportunity now to invite God into your life. Right where you sit, right where you are, no matter how screwed up your life is, you have the opportunity to to give your life over to God and let Him give you strength to live the life, the standard, the culture that He has set in place so you can live the most fulfilling life live with strength you've never known before, have new authority in your life, over your own life. So we're going to go ahead and wrap up in a second. And I'm going to ask for those, the people that want to give their lives to God, invite him in to give him that new strength. Go ahead and bow your heads with me. Father, thank you so much that you've invited us here to hear from you, to have your strength. I thank you that you broke the rules. I thank you that you lived a life led by the Spirit. You give us new strength and new vitality and then we can fear you and not man and not failure. When you tell us to not be conformed to the patterns of this world, you meant it. We are citizens of a different kingdom. I thank you so much, God, that you've called us citizens of a new culture, a new kingdom, God. I thank you, God, that you've identified us as being separate and apart from this culture. So I pray for all these people that you give us new strength and new life as we walk out of here, God, to live counterculture, to be abnormal.